Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 338, for December 4th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be discussing <clears throat> me clearing my throat right at the beginning of the show. Our chatbots, illegal wiretaps. How about AI powered shopping assistant? Uh, The Marvels are not marvelous in the box office, and I've got a typo in that title. Spotify begins laying off 1,500 or more people. Toyota unveils EV crossovers that I don't think are going to hit the market. Everyone has a new connection at 23andMe. Creators are suing AI companies, and it may set a, a bad precedent. And the mystery pneumonia spreads. And finally, sorry for our mistake. Have a frozen account. Oh, and number 10, disinformation might be ironic. Hello, hello again. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that is back from. I don't know. How do I want to characterize this? I was on assignment. Top secret. <clears throat> well, welcome back. I want to say hello. <laughs> Good evening, hometown citizens. We kind of bookend this thing with you. Good evening and then good night. We have to do like uh, the good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Exactly. I think that's from the Truman Show. It is from the Truman Show. And just like the Truman Show, you're always being watched. And you're always watching. Always. Yeah, that was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if you all could see the cascading. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, that was funny. I wish you all could see the cascade of data that I see. The visual representation isn't what you see up there. That's the voice visual up representation here. up there. Up there. <laughs> up, up there. Up here. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is what people are paying for, folks. You want to get into today's articles? Let's do it. I mean, that's what everybody's here for, right? Well, that's right. Uh, the first article is over in <sighs> Hometown Daily. No, it's only it's over at Hatch Ideas. Anyway, I'm I'm, I'm looking wow. at too many. <laughs> I've got too many monitors. It's all a little too crazy. Can an AI chatbot be convicted of an illegal wiretap? There is a case against Gap's old Navy. That may answer that. Can an artificial intelligence illegally wiretap customers, consumers? A California lawsuit against old Navy may set a precedent in AI privacy. So uh, this article is over at CNBC. Oh, you know what? Before I get even into this, Boom, there you go. And if you want to vote, you can do exclamation point and vote. That'll give you a URL to omtown.com slash elections. Um, 
which I, apparently I can't. Anyway, um, so the source for this article is over at CNBC.com. Uh, Ellen Shang is the author. They have these key takeaways that they always put together. Many sites do this kind of thing. Hometown at one point had that kind of thing as well. Uh, linked articles and whatnot, but not really summaries of the articles themselves. Since we only take a little snippet and we encourage you to go over and hang out at these other sites and then come back to hometown, kind of like, um, what do they call it? Town square. And then have a, a chat, you know, Hey, I read this like over here. Hall. Yeah. Town hall. Um, you know, we, we break out our drums and we have a drum circle and a fire pit and everybody uh, talks about, uh, articles that they've read. We happen to be the mayor and a, a sentient AI that keeps tabs on the mayor. But if you are so inclined every day, 8 PM Eastern, 6 PM on Saturday and Sunday, I guess it's not every day then. Anyway, Monday through Friday, 8 PM, Saturday, Sunday, 6 PM, but there's also a discord and the website, of course, but let's get back to this article. Can an AI chatbot be convicted of an illegal wiretap? A case against gaps, old Navy may answer that. So right off the, without getting into it, no, <laughs> you can't, an AI chatbot can't be convicted of anything. It doesn't have a soul. It can't be charged with a crime. It'd be it hard to prove intent. It can't be put in jail. You cannot prove intent. Huh. This is an interesting kind of, well, it's way too early for me to say what it is. Um, but let's just say that we normally have, uh, almost every 15 or 30 minutes or so as the show goes on little subsections for the news category that this might fall in. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait. I don't know, like three more minutes. Anyway, Old Navy is facing a lawsuit in the Central District of uh, California, alleging that its AI chatbot participates in illegal wiretapping by logging, recording, and storing conversations. <sighs> this is so easily going to be put to bed, but let's just continue the, the discussion. The plaintiff's filing argues that the chatbot convincingly impersonates an actual human that encourages consumers to share their personal information. Okay. Don't. <laughs> if, if you're squeamish about blood, you don't go charging into the emergency room. Uh, you know, you, you don't order your steak rare, even though that's not blood. But anyway, um, you, you, you don't charge into an event and then cry foul. You're having a conversation with a bot. Yes. It even tells you usually that you, uh, you are having a chat with a bot. <laughs> well, also this is going, oh, okay. I misread something that it went back to the 1960s. I thought the problem was back in the 1960s, but I guess there was another court case. Yeah. They say dozens of privacy lawsuits. I think that you might've thought that it was all AI related, but it wouldn't have gone back that far. Right. Not convincingly impersonation you know, of a human being, but no, uh, 
if it is a bot, then it's all scripted. It's all, you know, it's being logged. You have to be so under a rock to not understand that this is actually being monitored. Um, every bit of information is being quantified and qualified, categorized and sold in little tranches of value. <laughs> um, so with generative, the article says with generative AI tools like chat GPT bound to create more powerful personal assistants that can take over the role of customer ser uh, service agents, the privacy of your online shopping chat conversations is becoming a focus of court challenges. By the way, the show that, um, I had you listen to earlier today and you asked, what is this show? Mm -hmm. They're just now talking about the the fact that um they're lo you're losing rights you, you don't own anything anymore and everything is um a license to consume and so essentially this is the same thing everything that you're doing is a virtual data point you don't own it anymore somebody else owns it um we don't have consumer rights here that transcend this new era. And so like in the EU, you have the right to be forgotten. I can demand my data be purged. If I was in the EU here in the States, it's screw you. I'm taking everything. I'm keeping it. I'm going to sell it again and again and again, whatever that is, solve it, please. So that reliance on data, including copyrighted material, is already the cause of numerous lawsuits by writers and authors who discovered their material has been used without permission or compensation to train AI. I have a problem with that in that it is ephemeral data. It isn't in situ exactly how it is. Even if it is trained, it's information and information in and of itself isn't protected. The embodiment of that information, if it is data, it isn't protected. The embodiment of the data, that book, that book for copyright, yeah, is protected. That art piece is protected. Somebody looking at it, getting inspiration and creating something that is confusingly similar still isn't protected. Not until they sit there and say that piece of art is made by that artist, but then it falls under fraud, not copyright so much, but it becomes a criminal action. Now as companies adopt gen AI powered chatbots, another legal can of worms has been opened over consumer privacy. I think that it's really stretching. But here's to people forcing this gap open. What? I guess I don't see the distinction here because there are all kinds of customer service things where it's recorded. Now it does tell you that it's recorded. So is that the issue here that it doesn't say it's recording it? Because all day long you can call any customer service number and they, they monitor and record the call. You can have a chat bot sitting on a website 
on any website and interact with it and it actually records it and at the end it says do you want to see your transcript and it'll mail it to you in the filing the plaintiff says that he communicated with what he believed to be in uh, a human old navy customer service representative and was unaware that the chatbot was recording and storing the entire conversation including keystrokes i don't know about that mouse clicks and other data were uh, about how users navigate the site. The suit also alleges that Old Navy unlawfully shares consumer data with third parties without informing consumers or seeking consent. Well, you have to look at the terms of service. I can almost guarantee you that, yeah, they do disclose that they gather up all of this telemetry and they're not going to have you sign a non-disclosure agreement or some other agreement simply by opening up the chatbot. No, it's implied. You read the terms of use on the site by using the site, you agree to the terms. You don't like the terms, you bow out of using the site. There is no bargaining, there is no negotiation, there isn't a line item or strike through clause where you can sit there and say, you can do this, but you can't do that. No, you either agree or you don't. Most people don't read it. I'm being, I'm convincing myself that this wasn't read here either. Um, so old, the article says old Navy isn't the only one to face similar charges. Uh, I'm not, what I'm interested in is this case because the historical record is going to be so divergent from the here and now that I can't imagine an attorney being able to go, well, in 1960, we had, like it's going to be so unrelated at least because of the technology aspect yeah but it's going to be a, a stretch and if they decide that every customer chatbot is wiretapping that's going to be interesting yeah and that's really what's going on here that's why i chose this a case against gaps old navy may answer that so this is setting this is has the potential of setting a precedent that uh, suppresses the innovation in AI chatbot technologies because the such that a high bar will have to be set for acceptance of the discussion the interaction with AI chatbots other than what is status quo which is when you when you log into a web when you access a website it has terms of use and so even hometown has terms of use we don't have an ai chatbot that's sitting there confusingly similar to a human and and us telling you hey you can everything's recorded we don't do any of that stuff but what these bots are doing and you have to accept it you Come on now, who in the 21st century is loading up a web page, clicking on a chat bot and not understanding that everything that they're doing, you have to be new to the planet, really. And then to not understand that the terms of service for the entirety of the website is bound at the bottom of the page. Typically, you might be able to find it under a, a hamburger menu or three dots menu or whatever. Um, but somewhere on the site are the terms of use and usually there's one associated with the chatbot right exactly so i mean that makes you wonder too was that there 
Um, I do agree, though, like consumers aren't always notified, even though anybody remotely um, clued into society can determine that it's a chatbot. Right. But um, they don't always identify that. I have noted, I don't mean this company, but just in general. Like, it's just kind of like chat with our customer service or whatever, but you don't get notified that it's actually a, a bot. A bot, yeah. What I don't understand about this article so far that I'm reading is it focuses so much on AI training. Um, it doesn't matter. Data is ephemeral. You know, it's not being, st- well, hell. It could be stored somewhere, but the training issue versus the storage issue are two different animals. If an AI is scanning something and including it, incorporating it in it into its large language model, it it's just like a human being scanning through a bunch of data, except that it has an eidetic memory. And so <laughs> it never forgets anything. My fear is that this is going to be very suppressive. Um, They mentioned, you know, GDPR in Europe modeled after the California Consumer Privacy Act modeled after the GDPR in in Europe, Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, Virginia have comprehensive data consumer consumer data uh, privacy laws that give consumers the right to access and delete personal information and to opt out of the sale of personal information. I'd say it's almost unenforceable. Um, but okay. Earlier this year, eight more States, including Delaware, Florida, Iowa followed suit. I'm all for this, by the way, I am one of the biggest proponents of this. We should have as consumers, the right to be forgotten. If I break up with that special someone, because I don't like the way that they slurp their fruit loops out of a bowl, I can take my box of stuff that I have placed in a closet to the left and exit and Beyonce will be playing as I leave, I won't have to worry about anything physically retained, right? But I do have to worry about that person having privileged information about me in perpetuity. And as long as they, you know, harbor ill will or share it with people, then I am falling victim to it. And that's the same thing that happens with these companies. You know, if I do a search on Amazon, for um, my little pony rainbow adventure uh, uh, pajamas and i think it's embarrassing i can't ask amazon to delete it from its databases and exactly some investigative (laughs) reporter yeah when i when (laughs) i run for president they're gonna sit there and go hey mayor watt once did a search for my little pony rainbow adventure pajamas by the way, I use that all the time as just like the <laughs> wasn't a cover. I was actually doing a, a... it is like your go to. <laughs> I was in Maybe a dis- there's something there behind that. <laughs> I was doing a presentation and I said that I picked somebody out of the crowd and I'm like, hey, look, you know, your information is being sold like you know, so much cattle and uh if somebody wants to sell the fact that just yesterday you bought my little pony rainbow adventure, uh, pajamas and it, it was a, 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 you know, 
big muscular bro, you know, kind of dude. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> looked at me like, yeah, that's okay. I'm cool with it. I like my little pony. Call my bluff. <laughs> that didn't go the way it was expected. Yeah. So... You know, personal information opt out and delete data issues. While the emerging regulations offer consumers varying levels of protection, it's unclear whether companies can even delete information. Large language models can't modify their training data. That's not true. They absolutely can. Um, The argument has been made that they really can't delete it, that if it's already used to train the model, you kind of just can't untrain them. To a point, it's true. But that also that reinforces what I've been saying that you no longer the data is ephemeral. It's been integrated into a data set just like a human would consume it. It's no longer in its verbatim data set, right? Like you may be able to recall a sentence, but in your head, it's a fragmented mess. So, but I want this, I want the right to be forgotten. I want to be able to call up some company and go, here is my email address that I use to log into to the account. We are no longer in a professional relationship. My consumer data should be wiped from your system in historical record, except for the data retention policy, which is legally binding. You have to have a data retention policy. So the data is is there and viable should a court order come and say hey the person used this website to obtain abusive material or whatever um you know by regulated whatever and and so if if in their archive in their cold storage my data is there that's fine but it cannot be sold it can only be accessed for legal services etc etc um that's fine. Let's let's have that as a data protection for consumers. You know, I think it's good that states like California are pushing for this because I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this beyond California because companies aren't really going to have normally separate procedures for 50 states. Yeah. But meanwhile, there's going to be people that want this, but they don't want the federal government to lean into this they want it on a state by state you know and i i just think that's pushing it too far it's too wingnut i mean let the federal government enforce the grandiose policy that is consumer level protection for all citizens in the united states ultimately create a treaty so that it's bound to the gdpr and right to be forgotten policies in the eu and you basically have consumers protected so that their data isn't sitting there being uh, sold. But we like to protect business. Oh, yeah. Profit before people. Hey, guess what? Uh, the next article is over in Late Night Geeks. MasterCard launches Shopping Muse, an AI-powered shopping assistant. Look at that. Hey, and in this one, the person that would be complaining about the last article would probably provide copious amounts of information so that they can get as well prepared a list of particulars for that person to purchase 
a product for a friend um, or a family member, or they're going to divulge all kinds of additional information so that the right. AIs like favorite color, right? <laughs> or birthday or whatever. <laughs> Mother's maiden name, favorite. Pet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing that demonstration to people too. Um, I walk up to people in, in crowds and, uh, when I'm doing a talk, I, I walk up to people and I, I ask them, you know, Hey, I just bought a car. Um, and it's Ferrari red because I really love red, um, because it makes a car go faster, which is an old Warhammer, uh, 40 K reference. Um, and then I ask them, you know, what, what's your favorite, uh, color for a car? And they're like blue and instantly I go, Hey, you know, you just told me personally identifiable information that if I were going to do something nefarious, you just gave me a clue. Um, so, uh, and that's kind of low hanging fruit and not really always as applicable as a lot of people might think. Um, but it's just an example of divulging information. So MasterCard already knows everything that you purchase. If you use your MasterCard. If you use your ATM card, it has another brand name tied to it. So it could be Chase or MasterCard or uh, like American Express or what's the what's the other one like MasterCard? I keep forgetting all of the uh, Visa. Visa, yeah. And so you can have these branded ATM cards, and that transaction has the ability, depending on how you do it to go directly through the credit card company, not, not just your banking institution, but it can funnel through the credit card company. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if all transactions go through the credit card company. Um, like basically the credit card gets pinged for the value of whatever it is you're purchasing and then forwarded on to your bank. And so they know when and where and what you're purchasing. Um, and so there's two in the grand scheme of things, there's two entities that know more about you than everybody else. One is your credit card company and the other one is your internet service provider because your DNS goes through their DNS, which means they know exactly which websites you go to. Oh, help me. Anyway, um, so MasterCard is launching a new generative AI shopping tool called Shopping Muse that is designed to help users get personalized product recommendations. This is a TechCrunch article. Aisha Malik over at TechCrunch.com put the article together. Let me throw that into the chat. We're only two articles into our 10 articles. My goodness, we. <laughs> Tonight might be a long show. Let's see what happens. Uh, the tool can take users colloquial colloquial language so your regular however you want to talk language and turn it into a tailored product recommendations shopping muse is able to understand modern trends and phrases like cottage core or beach formal you can ask the tool uh, questions like what should i wear for a summer wedding or can you recommend pieces uh, for a minimalist capsule wardrobe I would mess with it. Like I am going to be spending uh, the next uh, three years uh, at a nude beach. Uh, what should I wear? And see if it just uh, hear a server set itself on fire. 
<laughs> I was thinking more like I'm going to be spending time in a time capsule. And I <laughs> yeah, have really. a capsule wardrobe. Um, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be exiting um, a uh, bunker in 20 years. What clothing should I wear so for my exit? So that I'll still be stylish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm still stylish. So if a user logged in, the algorithms may consider their past purchase and browsing history with that retailer, including any purchases made in person that they connected to their account by providing the cashier their phone number or email, for example, which if you're going to use this, you're buying into the whole ideology. So I've always heard from people like, well, it's going to give me a superior shopping experience. Well, you're probably not the ones that are complaining about AI, I suppose. But maybe you have that cognitive dissonance going on where you're complaining about AI taking over, but you've been feeding into a database all of your information. And that brings me to whole like Zuckerberg saying that people are idiots for using Facebook because they're divulging all this personal information. And he exactly. literally, it's so blatant. Yeah. And I'm taming down what he actually said about consumers of Facebook. Right. You're making it more family friendly. Mm. Which I'm not necessarily prone to do. Let's keep going though. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report. The Marvel's $197 million box office run officially breaks the MCU's 15 year record. So I said something about the Marvel's basically being a bleh kind of a, a movie. I never bought into it. I haven't even watched it. All I know is that they took a bunch of other people that uh, like personalities from the MCU and merged it into the Marvels uh, because um, so Brie Larson is Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel, um, which is different than Marvel, which is what the Marvels are. The, uh, the Marvels sounds like a, uh, like a, uh, like 60s. a 50s, uh, band. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> it probably um, is. Yeah. It, I, maybe you should look Add an L E S at the end. And I bet it is <laughs> and the Marvels. Um, so the Marvels, uh, consist of uh, Carol Danvers, the Brie Larson's character to Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, Iman Villani's Kamala Khan, um, aka Ms. Marvel, which is like a teenage Marvel. Um, and then I think their name is Tiona um, Paris, uh, Monica Rambeau, who is uh, also known as Photon. Anyway, they're merged together into this trifecta for the Marvels. And frankly, <laughs> I didn't see the draw. So I always thought that the Marvels weren't going to be a box office smash. So apparently Disney kind of bowed out about supporting them. So, oh, hold on a second. I need to fix that. Sorry, there is a cover band called the Marvels <laughs> that does oh, really? music. <laughs> interesting so i'm not sure why this popped up because i don't i guess my firewall um blocks them but anyway um so kai young is the author over at screen rant the marvels has finished its box office run with a disappointing total for marvel studios breaking a record that existed since the mcu's beginning um i'm not sure what the break what the record is that they're breaking, but 
Disney's latest Phase 5 film, The Marvels, um, has become the lowest grossing MCU movie in history, generating only just shy of $200 million compared to The Incredible Hulk's $264.8 million, which was the preceding lowest. Disney's decided to stop reporting on the Marvel's box office numbers due to the underwhelming performance and Bob Iger um, explanation that the film suffered because it was shot during COVID and lacked executive supervision has caused controversy as there are clearly other contributors, including 2023 strikes and undue hate aimed at the female led uh, production. Now for me, I don't, all of this doesn't matter because the underpinnings of the Marvels, which is the story itself and the characters being drawn in made no sense to me. And I'm just a casual in terms of the MCU's consumption. Um, so well, and if all those were factors, wouldn't those impact the the ratings or reviews versus the people attending? Well, I mean, Bob Iger is saying that executive supervision is what kind of But that wouldn't keep a consumer away from the theater. But then it might be a poor movie, and uh, somebody that watched it might say, oh, "Well, this is an awful movie." Right. And I don't think these are things that you'd know and say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to watch the movie." Yeah, I suppose my, uh, I, I suppose the word of the lack of positive word of mouth and positive overt positive press um, is what drove this down. But I really think that it's because the story is just too convoluted to draw these three superheroes into a story. I, every time I talk about the Marvels, I, I end up talking about, um, toy stories, um, buzz Lightyear in the movie Lightyear. The only underpinning of why anybody would watch it is because they are fanatics about Lightyear. And frankly, you know, whatever. And that's why it had a mediocre at best showing. And that's what Marvel, the, the Marvels is. Um, each one of these uh, people that are in the Marvels are really should have just been nothing more than support for the larger MCU uh, agenda. Um, and like, uh, Captain Marvel all by itself had to have a whole bunch of world building around it to make it even make sense. So I don't know. I, I just think that it's kind of a, a meh story um, because Ms. Marvel is actually a, like a Disney um, prototype, not, not even like a fully in, engrossed MCU character. The only place that Ms. Marvel even exists was in that one Disney presentation, uh, you know, a, a, a series, and then got pulled into a movie with, I don't think, any underpinnings that made it worthwhile. So, um, and there was no, uh, Rambo was a support character, just barely touched in the MCU. And then, of course, Captain Marvel is the is the Brie Larson it just is a commanding presence because people really love Brie Larson. Um, so I don't know. It seemed like a kind of meh character, even in the MCU. So 
I don't think that I'll get any hate about it. So um, why the Marvel's box office is so low for the MCU? They talk about it. The Marvel suffered because it was shot during COVID before suggesting that there wasn't enough supervision on set from executives. That's the Bob Iger um, comment. And then they talk about the SAG after strike, writer strike. Um, I think this is Ghostbusters all over again. Really? It's all female cast. The original cast in this universe is mainly male actors, just right. like Ghostbusters. Right. I don't think it's appealing to the audience. I, I mean, I totally agree with the points you're making. I don't know. I mean, like on TV, Supergirl is super pop. Well, was super popular. Not anymore. Um, there there's a lot of uh oh, what i forgot her name oh my gosh um there's been others that are female leads oh like wonder woman yeah i, I mean it, this all happens and it's popular well wonder woman kind of wet the bed when they pushed it into this weird cat versus bird wing suit thing Ugh, whatever that train wreck was and everybody just hug and and the evil will go away storyline was so stupid cash grab that it was i could feel somebody reaching into my back pocket like hey he's not going to go see the movie let's see if we can just take a couple bucks you know that was so obvious well anyway you think that it might be this kind of like a misogyny thing right I mean, without calling it misogyny. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's rising to that. Yeah, interesting take. Yeah. I mean, it definitely could be. I just don't think that the the two... So this is Rambo, and this is Ms. Marvel. I don't think that those two uh, amount to enough to pull people into paying 25 bucks for a movie. It's just not, it's not enough. And Brie Larson is trading on her MCU past. So now we know exactly where the limit is. A follow on movie of Captain Marvel is where it ends. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in a uh, smash or trash, which is a, uh, it's, basically oh, hold on a second something didn't happen um it's designed it's a channel that's designed to evaluate music in movies primarily music um where we decide together as an audience as consumers is it a smash or is it is it a smash hit or should we trash it smash or trash um so spotify is about to lay off one-sixth of its workforce about 1500 jobs maybe more um, this actually started taking place today, apparently. The article's over at pitchfork.com. Um, so Merry Christmas to 1,500 people. Uh, you are going to get some free time. But you work your ass off to make a company successful. You get paid for it. And there's a lot of people out there that have said to me, um, well, you know, you get paid to do a job. You don't get paid to live there forever, you know? Well, yeah, but it should amount to more than. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come in tomorrow. 
via a freaking Zoom meeting. Jasmine Rowe, which is a perfect name for somebody that works at pitchfork.com, uh, put the article together and the deck statement says after a, a period of aggressive spending, the streaming giant will cut some 1500 jobs. By the way, Spotify has like record profits right now. So they're firing well, people. Which is very interesting, right? So they should need to fire people. Yeah. Um, so Spotify will lay off about 1,500 employees or one-sixth of its workforce to downsize after a period of aggressive spending on podcasts and audiobooks. The company announced this morning, December 4th. The latest round of cuts uh, is the third of the year as the company fails to curb a pattern of financial losses amounting to hundreds of millions of dollars annually as the New York Times reports. But I've read that they actually were profitable. They have made some uh, good profits. Um, the move uh, follows some 800 job cuts earlier this year, part of a strategy that um, Eck, uh, Daniel Eck, uh, described in a statement as preparing for our next phase where being lean is not just an option, but a necessity because you got to keep that profit high enough so that you can pay investors above what they would normally get because you got to do 10% growth bitches. Otherwise we start firing you anyway. The bump had leveled to roughly 7% by the afternoon. That's the, the shares jumped about 10% in early trading and then leveled to seven. The share price has more than doubled this year, restoring some value lost since its peak in early 2021. You see how you fire 1500 people plus you, a, a bunch of people say, oh, look, they're going to extend their runway. Let's buy their stock. Then they do institutional investing in manipulations where they buy their stock back. Then they release it again. It's the ebb and flow. There was a time where uh, the stock, at least in my, see, I went to business school. I was studying finance. I didn't like what happens behind you know, boardroom doors. Um, and so I bowed out, but it, nowadays it's concentration of wealth. It isn't developing a product or a service and selling that product or service. It's always now a manipulation of the stock so that they can trade on the stock again and again and again by doing investing within themselves. So as it seeks new cost-cutting methods, Spotify faces continued criticism of its payout model, including a recent announcement that it would eliminate payouts for songs with less than 1,000 streams. I don't know how that's even possible because they're using somebody's product without compensating them. <laughs> exactly. That's like allowing somebody to steal a thousand records or whatever. Oh, nope, you don't have to pay for those. Yeah. Only get a thousand and one. Yeah, if every song is 99 cents to purchase, that's a thousand streams. That's a thousand dollars. Right, and that's, I mean, that goes into the thing about the um, artists that can't make it, right? Because yeah. they can't make enough to support themselves exactly because of things yeah. like this. And and changing the terms is what really pisses me off. Like I know going into streaming over on YouTube that I'm not going to be part of the partner program, just like Twitch. I'm not part of the partner program. I'm not even an affiliate because I haven't gotten, you know, three people 
to reliably hang out in the chat for an hour random, not even a random time. I mean, I, I need people to come and hang out and chat so I can be affiliate. Um, but you know, I feel like I, I went in knowing the terms just like on YouTube. I went in knowing the terms they've changed their terms as well, but I knew going in that I had to meet a certain metric. These guys are like, eh, we're not going to, we've decided that we're going to save some money by not, uh, paying people who are posting their music or allowing us to stream our music. And this is, this is just beyond the pale. I mean, it's just so, so wrong. Last week, Weird Al Yankovic recorded a Spotify wrapped video, mocking the meager payouts, joking that his 80 million streams had earned him enough for a nice sandwich at a restaurant. Okay, that's kind of funny. I was reading another article today about one of these companies that had done mass layoffs, and it was reporting that the person who worked there found out they didn't have the job anymore when they tried to like log into their work account, and it it wasn't working that was yep. their first sign that oh they were no longer an employee which that's a whole other <laughs> discussion <Yep>. but <laughs> the first thing that is always done at, at a employment site is they cut off digital access so you can't get through the front door without your card which means that you can't get through the front door you can't get your mail it gets turned off that way you can't send anything malicious you can't harm the company etc etc all of this is done by the way days or weeks in advance so people inside know that the guillotine is falling um and so a way to treat people i just i don't get it yeah i don't get it either so and I, I don't know. I can't get into it. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. Toyota unveils two EV crossover concepts arriving by 2025. I don't think either of these are actually going to hit the showroom floor. Why? Because I think Toyota and other manufacturers are pulling away from EVs. Um, because more and more information is coming out about lack of support, infrastructure, manufacturing, and consumers are uh, stressed about, uh, what do they call it? Um, charging anxiety or range anxiety. Oh, yes. So let's go over to the source of this. Will Shanklin over at Engadget.com put the article together. Um, and let me throw this into the chat. There we go. So Will Shanklin put this article together. They are a contributing reporter. Uh, the automaker also detailed its battery goals for 2026 and beyond. So Toyota said Monday that it plans to expand its European lineup of battery electric vehicles or BEVs, which is basically EVs, um, to six models by 2026. The automaker revealed two new concepts for its upcoming EV fleet, including a close to production urban SUV, and a sport crossover scheduled for a 2025 European launch. Toyota, which Reuters no notes is the world's largest automaker by sales, currently sells only one fully electric model, the BZ4X. So why are they talking about it being six? When they're only talking about a close to production urban SUV and a sport crossover for Europe. And they only have one. 
I see what you mean. I mean, maybe, are they really going to release that many in 2026 beyond that? Yeah, I, I guess that the, they want to expand Like maybe there's to... a little batch in 2025 and then a larger batch in 2026. I guess. But that's only two years away. 2024 I know. is... I mean, I think this is very... Aggressive. Um, aggressive thank you yeah or dreamy um yes, speculative uh, <laughs> ambitious uh, yeah, ambitious that was what i was looking for <laughs> the we'll EV equivalent of a stroke um <laughs> so now don't get me wrong about something about this toyota bz4x it is a sexy car i like the bz4x um so these are the two that they are saying a sport crossover left and urban SUV on the right. They, they basically look better in the picture of the bug, I think. Up there? Yeah, I like that one. I guess it's the sport one. I think these are both these are both the sport. It says oh, Toyota Sports like Crossover and Urban SUV Concepts. Unless that one is the SUV and that's the sport. Yeah, maybe. No, this is yeah, this looks like the urban SUV. Um the, obviously these are renders. These are not the legit anything. Right. But so by the way, I don't think that they're tremendously different than the BZ4X. Anyway, um I think that they've got a problem with battery technology. It just doesn't rise to the level of ICE engines. So um, while there's this massive hype for the Cybertruck, which I, the, okay. They compared a bunch of stuff. Um, there's like a video of the, um, the Cybertruck towing a Porsche 911, racing a Porsche 911 and the Cybertruck beat the Porsche 911. And then I'm like looking at this going, well, what were the specs of the 911? Exactly. Because the one that they were using to race was the beast mode version of the Cybertruck, which is over $100,000 MSRP predicted. We don't know what the absolute real price of that particular model is, but it's a $100,000 car. So, right, and the Porsche is expensive, but not that expensive. It's not a hundred thousand dollar car. I haven't pulled up the thing, but you can. I'm sure you can get it boosted to that. But anyway, I have a problem with they want to get these batteries to a point. It says with its solid state cells, the automaker's goal is a charging time of ten to eighty percent in only ten minutes. Okay, ten to eighty percent in ten minutes. That is a tremendous, that's five, that's twice as long as me getting a full tank of gas, getting in, filling my car from zero to full tank and driving away. And I could go in and get a cup of coffee in 10 minutes. Give me a break. This is not ready for prime time. It's still not ready. Now, do I endorse this and encourage this? Yes. Sure, early adopters go for it, but the developers of these EVs need to realize that the tech isn't there. 
not for in-place in-situ battery charging. We need the infrastructure to charge a fast charging battery swap system. Just like we have gas tanks, we need battery swap tanks. Well, and all these timeframes, I think, are based on plans for battery plants and other things that we keep seeing in the news are delayed, canceled, pushed back by several years. I don't see this three or four years away. No. Like 10, maybe. Yep. <laughs> and that's a different article. <laughs> Yeah, that was a very interesting article. Anyway, um, okay, so let's keep going. There's only so much that I can say about this. This next article um, is to let everybody know that we all, if, and not me, because I didn't use 23andMe, I was on the precipice of doing this, um, and I backed away because I kept feeling really weird about 23andMe. Um, and uh, because of what I do for a living, I... <laughs> I was like, <laughs> do I want to risk this? And well, look, lo and behold, we all have a new connection. Some of us actually might be connected and we don't even know it. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe we can talk about it another time, but let me let me get into this article. Um, there's the link in chat. So the next the article is over at TechCrunch.com. Lorenzo Franceschi. Uh, Bichieri, 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 you guys are Bichieri, I'm not sure, I'm sorry, Lorenzo, let me know either by email or in uh, a chat message or some way, um, send a carrier pigeon, uh, how to phonetically pronounce your name, and I uh, will not make the mistake again, anyway, um, so just to let you all know, we are all related because we've been hacked. <laughs> by 23andMe. So 23andMe had a data breach. Hackers stole data on 6.9 million users' ancestry data. So one thing that we all have in common now, at least the 6.9% or sorry, 6.9 million people who use 23andMe, you all are connected by a security breach. Um, so as it turns out, there were a lot of other users who were victims of the data breach. 6.9 million affected individuals in total. In an email sent to TechCrunch late on Saturday, 23andMe spokesperson Katie Watson confirmed that hackers accessed the personal information of about 5.5 million people who opted into 23andMe's DNA relatives feature, which allows uh, customers to automatically share some of their data with others. The data stolen included the person's name, birthday, relationship labels, the percentage of DNA shared with relatives, ancestry reports, and self-reported location. They also confirmed that another group of 1.4 million people, so we're at uh, 6.9 million people, who opted into the DNA relatives also had their family tree profile information accessed, which includes the display names, relationship labels, birth year, self-reported location, name. everything. Uh, and whether the user decided to share their information, the spokesperson said. So they declared part of its email as on background, which requires both parties to agree to the terms in advance. 
So TechCrunch is printing the reply as we were given no opportunity to reject the terms. So this is something that they put into their article. So yeah. In early October, a hacker claimed to have stolen DNA information of 23andMe users in a post on a well-known hacking forum. As proof of the breach, the hacker published the alleged data of 1 million users of Jewish Ashkenazi descent and 100,000 Chinese users asking would-be buyers for $1 to $10 for the data per individual account. That's pretty expensive. So, um, pretty amazing. Two weeks later, the same hacker advertised the alleged records of another 4 million on the same hacking forum. So, and then there was one even previous to that. I think it was like 2 million people. Oh, really? It wasn't even known. There, yeah. There's more in here, um, but yeah, two months before there was another one of um, a, a batch, but it doesn't say exactly how oh, many. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know where I got that number from. Yeah, I think it's because you saw that right there, 23andMe. Yeah. I was scrolling at the time, so sorry about that. <laughs> that became 2 million. <laughs> yeah. So um, TechCrunch kind of references that maybe it's months old or whatever, but to me, it doesn't matter. This is the personally identifiable ancestral data of 6.9 million users that believe that their data was going to be secure at 23andMe. And it's the reason why I believe that people really need to be aware that privacy is on its way to being removed. Uh, and, and there are people that are uh, enriching themselves off of the mantra that privacy is dead. People like Zuckerberg and um, Elon Musk, etc. They benefit from having a massive amount of privacy for their own shenanigans, but screw everybody else. But we're building that beast. We're enabling all of this because y'all are out there divulging information as if you've just split open an artery and you're just spraying it all over the place. So if you were worried about your privacy, stop. Yeah, there's a pretty easy way to not have to worry about privacy. Yeah. Don't stop. put your data out there. Yeah. Oh, I think that you can survive without 23andMe. Next week, I'll probably apply for 23andMe. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the next article's hey, over. Hey, the breach already happened. Now that's right. time to do it's it. <laughs> more secure than ever, maybe. Uh, the next article's over in Gnome Town Daily. I'm going to grab this URL and throw it in the chat real quick. Uh, if creators suing AI companies over copyright win, it will further entrench big tech. There's been this weird idea lately. This is an article that's over. Um, let me just go straight on over to the source. It's over at Tech Dirt. Mike Masnick is the author. Um, the little snippet that we have is the first few lines of the article itself. There's been this weird idea lately, even among people who used to recognize that copyright only empowers the largest gatekeeper. Yeah, the largest gatekeepers that in the world of AI. Um, we have to magically flip the script on copyright and use it as a tool 
to get AI companies to pay for the material they train on, but as we've explained repeatedly, that would be a huge mistake. Even if people are con uh, concerned about how AI works, copyright is not the right tool to use here, and the risk of it being used to destroy all sorts of important and useful tools is quite high, ignoring Elon Musk's prediction that digital God will be obsolete. Um, all of this. So um, the article continues on talking about the nature of copyright is such that it is uh, most powerful when a few large entities act as central repositories for the copyrights and can lord around their power and try to that might be all said and done a perception thing because everybody benefits from copyright if i publish a picture somewhere and i send it into the copy us copyright office and even if i don't the moment that i embody some work written uh etc you know a photograph whatever it might be there's a copyright in place all of that every uh, every copyright big business or small business the only thing that really stops copyright abuse is enforcement of your right so you right. can sit there you have to go after it you have and to just... go and protect it yep so i literally tell people uh, well, if you don't have the money to sit there and protect your copyright getting a copyright doesn't do jack just like a patent just because you have a patent doesn't mean anything because you have to have the coffers to go out and chase people down and say, you got to stop using my copyright. You have to stop using my, sorry, my copyrighted work. You have to stop using my trademark. You have to stop using my patented material. Nothing stops a person who, uh, uh, I'll use another uh, anecdote. <laughs> Criminals aren't criminal because they follow the rules. What? Cr criminals aren't criminals because they have a strong moral compass. You don't say. So if somebody doesn't give a crap about your patent, trademark, or copyright, they're going to use it. Hell, some of them might use it and say that it's an original. And so it transcends even the civil violation of copyright, patent, trademark becomes criminal because it's fraud. Anyway, they say this is why the author, Mike Masnick, and they say, and they have, they say we. So I don't know who the we is that they're talking about, but apparently there's a plurality of people that are in this we. This is why we've said all along that tra AI training will never fit neatly into a licensing regime. The almost certain outcome, because it's what happens every time every other time a similar situation arises is that there will be one possibly two giant entities who get to designate as the collection society with whom ai companies will have to negotiate or just purchase a training license and that entity will collect a ton of money i.e everything going on with nvidia versus everybody else everybody that's trying to spin up their own ai but everything is really uh, either mid-journey for graphics or open AI for chat GPT related agents. Um, there's a whole spectrum of other ones, but really everybody is paying for mid-journey and, and open AI. Nobody else is paying for anything anywhere, really. 
<clears throat> anyway, but given the enormity of the amount of content and the structure of this kind of thing, the cost will be extremely high for the AI companies. A few pennies for every creator online can add up in aggregate, meaning that the only the biggest of the tech will be able to afford it. My problem here is that I think that AI, large language models, they aggregate the information and then it becomes ephemeral twisted and and mutated into something other than uh the verbatim data that it was trained on so i have no problem with it um now people will probably sit there and go well that's because you're probably benefiting from it yeah maybe i suppose um i don't i think i have massive respect for creators um I, I am pretty vociferous about the fact that I give credit where credit is due. And I demand that the people that I work with give credit where credit is due. Um, and if you consume any works of any kind, you're benefiting. Yeah. And you're being because influenced by it. be created without the copyright. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, at, at the end of the day, if creators are suing AI companies over copyright, Essentially, what's going uh, to to me, the same embodiment is I read a book, I get inspiration from the book. I create something that might be similar to that book because I was inspired by it. This has actually happened. Stephen King's Dark Tower um, series is entirely based off of the inspiration drawn from a poem. And he's very forthcoming about it. He's gotten inspiration yeah. from other things as well, other writings. Uh, yet, uh, you know, people hero worship Stephen King. And Stephen King has spoken about AI. I can't remember what he actually said about it um, now, but my point is we all get inspiration from somewhere and the AI is nothing more than a tool. It's the, the calculator of creativity and it's steered the numbers are punched in by humans it does not just create stuff on its own the pro the ai would do nothing if not instructed to do x y and z so i think we need to get over copyright as it pertains to an ai being trained on data because it isn't spitting out verbatim and if it is address that well that's true you don't have to shut down everything because somebody's violating something right shut down the violation but like we uh, i've already described this once it's integrated into the llm it's largely just data if it's retrained and that original is verbatim still stored somewhere illegally acquired and stored somewhere then so be it, you know, have that data purged and then the AI would retrain. It can be exfiltrated from the system, but it's tougher because once it's trained, it's no longer verbatim data. It's just creative juices that get turned into something. It's an algorithm. Anyway, let's keep going. Maybe not. Here we go. Um, the next article is over in the mobile channel. 
uh, child pneumonia cases emerge in Europe as China battles wave of respiratory illness that they can't really explain. Um, I'm going to go over to the Telegraph. That's where this is actually uh, aggregated from telegraph.co.uk. Let me grab, see, the um, aggregator did not uh, grab any actual content. It's just linking to it. And that's how they provide it. Telegraph provides it. Um, so Ireland and France, among several countries, to record a uh, sharp rise in mycoplasma pneumonia. And this is hitting children especially hard. Uh, Maeve Cullinan, uh, or Cullinan, um, is the author of this. And um, it just says here that a, a rise in mycoplasma pneumonia, the bacteria that causes the infection, has been reported in Ireland, France, the Netherlands, Denmark, China. Um, and it, my understanding is that there is, there are cases here in the United States now too. I don't remember if it's Ohio or Utah. It is Ohio. Ohio. Um, and so this is, this is something that, uh, the AI and I have discussed and this is the same time frame for the launch of oh by the way i'm really worried about something i think that child might be possessed why is that because their they feet seem aren't like touching the ground the but they're air. floating yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh that's supernatural being <gasps> it's ms marvel <laughs> anyway obviously they're jumping in it. it's a still picture <laughs> it's an odd picture though yeah that's awesome my god she's flying anyway um meanwhile the netherlands has seen 124 percent increase compared to last year's peak china is saying that it's not even a blip and they can handle it yet we've also heard reports that they can't handle it that it's uh, already uh, requiring them to spin up clinics that are being overwhelmed by the number of ill patients um, the illness came into the spotlight last week when the who made not the band, the who made uh, an official request to China for more information about reports of undiagnosed pneumonia in children's hospitals in Beijing, Liaoning and other locations. Or it might be Liaoning. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, Chinese authorities have said that there's no evidence of any new. No, it's nothing. Wash your hands. It's the flu. You don't need a mask or a vaccine. There you go, wingnuts. Start warming up your mental gymnastic machine. So uh, the AI and I, I never finished my sentence. Basically, we have come to the conclusion that this is the same course that COVID-19 started from, except that we're hearing about it sooner because people have been putting their ear to the ground and listening for this noise and then and when now we there are some more um, health databases that are publicly accessible etc right. yep people are talking about it it's high on the list of monitoring and then you hear about it from people um, that are in the know that would normally not say anything to you um, like i know people that are in the medical field and they're like hey uh, have you been talking about uh this uh pneumonia thing and i'm like well yeah and they're like 
yeah, I, I would probably start paying attention to this. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So, and I, we've already called this out. Like the moment we heard that there's an unexplained, undiagnosed un pneumonia, that is COVID. COVID causes pneumonia. Exactly. That was one of the biggest causes of death from the early days of COVID-19. Yep. And people still poo-poo this. Millions of people have perished because of this ignorance. Anyway, I think COVID-19 was the sixth largest pandemic in the world history since it's been recorded. Really? I was just talking with someone about those stats. I think that was the number. The sixth? So the so. Black Plague I mean, was, was like number yeah, one? that was exactly. And then um, I've forgotten now where the... Spanish flu? Probably so. Spanish flu and COVID-19 are basically the same thing. And people attribute Spanish flu to Spain, but that's not the case. Spanish flu was actually called Spanish flu because Spain was the only one that was reporting it reliably. <laughs> um, and everybody is like attributing it to the, to Spain. Um, and, and I refer to COVID-19 as the bad bat pandemic where somebody should have smacked that bad bat out of somebody's mouth from that wet market in China. I mean, it's literally across the street from the Wuhan virology research lab for crying out loud. Of course it came out of there. Oh, I had forgotten. So HIV AIDS, um, gotcha. The slash AIDS was, I think the largest, at least in modern times. Wow. Um, well, that, sorry, that, the information that I'm looking at is not, Real that's still not stamped here. out that's still like a managed illness right i don't know it is now but it wasn't in the early days it right. um it, it killed flourished. 36 million people yeah yeah because it was such a complex misunderstood right and they didn't have a cure or treatment etc yeah. now i think you still have to take like a cocktail of drugs i think i don't know maybe they've reduced it down to just one pill but anyway um that's a different topic Right now we need to worry and pay attention to we need to worry about and pay attention to child pneumonia cases that are emerging all around the planet all because we're not locking down this right now and taking precautions people need to mask up people need to protect their kids man when a sneeze makes you flinch oh and I've got stuff going on. Oh no. Anyway, let's keep going. I'm going to be bubble mayor. Um, so uh, <laughs> the next article is over in uh, the Hatch Ideas channel. Maybe Bank that could be on the Patreon. <laughs> like you show up in your bubble attire. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm going to be rolling into an airport. So the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Uh, bank accidentally deposits $86 million into a woman's account and then freezes her assets. You know how cold <laughs> it is outside right now? I froze my assets off when I went outside. <laughs> anyway, the incident occurred at the Malaysian bank, Maybank. Very Should creative. Be cannot bank. Or wait, what's the one? What's the, the bank where they say that it messes up your 
they mess your money up so bad so they named oh man i can't remember is it the one with the akron or um, yeah yeah it's the one that's spun around nimeo 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 yeah the the joke that somebody said about nimeo was (laughs) that their catchphrase was we mess your money up so much we (laughs) named our bank after it nimeo anyway this one bank mistake is uh one that no one wants reversed a malaysian woman named uh hafidza i guess hafidza abdullah is going viral after revealing that her bank accidentally deposited uh 400 million uh, mnr which is the malaysian dollar basically the currency i don't know what it actually is called but um anyway roughly equivalent to 86 million dollars and they posted it in a linkedin post apparently the amount was so large the system glitched her bank account was frozen apparently this goes on to say that the personal bank account got blocked the company account is unusable and visiting maybank has become their daily new exercise routine So many joke that the incident gave the ever dreaded 404 error a whole different meaning because 404 is file not found and it's 400 <laughs> I love it. That might actually be the, co- that might be an actual problem. Like it wasn't intentional, but the transaction caused a glitch that deposited 404 over oh and gosh, over that again. That could have been it. What's also interesting is their currency is not MNR. It's MYR. Oh, maybe that's a typo then. I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's all that there is for this article, really. I think it's funny, though, because Maybank is the, the final statement in this article is Maybank is the fourth biggest bank in Southeast Asia. The bank was down over... 44% year over year as of Monday afternoon. Mm. Hmm. If you own stock in this bank, I would probably start 404ing my way out of there. <laughs> Let's go to the last article for tonight. So we're in Hatch Ideas. She lost her job as a disinformation scholar at Harvard and claims Facebook may have had something to do with it. Um, I always uh, peel back the layers of the onion when there are claims like this. And sure enough, (laughs) there's one that's pretty obvious, uh, a a layer here that kind of solves this problem. But another layer underneath it makes me wonder what else? Maybe, I don't know. So. Uh, Sam Silverman over at entrepreneur.com put the article together. Uh, The deck statement says Dr. Joan Donovan alleges Harvard stopped her research after receiving donations from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is the Zuckerberg and his wife fund. Harvard denies the claim. Here's a picture of uh, Dr. Joan Donovan um, going, "Uh uh-huh, you fired me. And... um, (laughs) And when you read about this, you go, oh, okay. Yeah, at first blush, you're you're like, oh, 
alumni Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan led to her tem termination because they donated a bunch of money. Um, and one of the things that Donovan was part of was whistleblower declaration made. Um, oh, previously there was another initiative um, that Donovan was a part of that had to do with um, whistleblowing and disclosures in the whistleblower de declaration made public on Monday. Donovan claims her studies on media manipulation campaigns were restricted following a $500 million donation from the Chan Zuckerberg initiative to fund an artificial intelligence center in 2021. From that very day forward, they were treated differently by the university to the point where they lost their job. Donovan told the logic. So entrepreneur picked this up. Um, and, and we're talking about it here in hometown daily. The disclosure was sent on Donovan's behalf to Harvard and the U S education secretary, Miguel Cardona, uh, by whistleblower aid last week. And that's part of something that there Donovan is part of. So, um, Donovan is regarded as one of the world's leading social media disinformation experts. In 2021, she testified before the House and Senate subcommittees about misinformation and social media. Wonderful, right? Remember here the name, Dr. Joan Donovan. Okay. okay. So I'm like, huh, this is really interesting. Why would a $500 million donation immediately lead to somebody's ouster and so you scroll a little bit further down and you find out donovan claims that she was terminated in 2022 after harvard shut down her research she had worked at the university since 2018 running the technology and social change research project for the shorenstein center at harvard university's john f kennedy school of government the name placard is 12 feet long <laughs> right they needed to save money on painting it like federal <laughs> express <laughs> it's the fedex the, it's the we have to come up with a term for this it's like the the fed the rule of fedex or something like that or the uh, the fedex dynamic i don't know we'll we'll have to the fedex philosophy yeah we'll have to spitball the the name for it we have to make it um every time we talk about it uh longer and longer as well so in a couple <laughs> of years it's so big that it's actually that needs another fedex for it, or yeah, whatever <laughs> that's right it becomes recursive so harvard says straight out of the gate no you're wrong what actually took place was you worked on a project and the professor that was responsible for that research project left and everybody else stayed, but your project ended. So you're just done. But they had tried to find another faculty member to take over interest and participate and continue the research. To which I said, she's a doctor and the preeminent expert on it. You're right. Why was she only a staff member and not a faculty member? Correct. Particularly with a doctorate. I Correct. Up on that. Why were they let go? 
Yeah, I think there's something more to this. Yeah, maybe the intermediary faculty member was the one that was the go-between between between Joan Donovan and the rest of the institution so that she was protected from the rest of the, and I've seen this in institutions before, where there's somebody that is a buffer um, that is able to communicate with both sides and there isn't any abrasion, uh, abrasion, there isn't any friction so when that all fell away and Joan Donovan had to interact immediately with administrative uh, bodies, it became friction bound. <coughs> and as much as a lot of people will sit there and go, well, it all shows as much about them as it does about that person because they didn't keep her on board. <laughs> well, you know, when you go into somebody else's house and you're an asshole and abrasive, you're going to get punted out and not asked to return. So maybe there's some bad blood there or they didn't like the relationship. They didn't like the culture. Uh, they didn't like the character. They didn't, I don't know, whatever it might be. But if, if Joan Donovan is basically claiming that the, the impetus for the closure is that donation it's a pretty heady claim but not supported by the evidence that's so obvious to me that i was like oh okay it's pretty 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 simple oh my this is what i wanted to know like i wanted to know when the donation was timed with any of her activity and then there's another paragraph down here about that yeah the disclosure notes that Chan Zuckerberg donation came shortly after the 2021 Facebook papers whistleblower complaint from former Facebook employee Francis Hogan, I think is their name. Harvard made the papers public with the help of Donovan, who archived the documents for public research. Since Donovan's departure from Harvard, she announced that she in August that she's joining Boston University's College of Communication as an assistant professor. So she's bouncing into academia as a professor. But this kind of gives it credibility that the moment that and and they they moved the the uh, the chains down the field slow enough so that it didn't come across like an immediate response to a five hundred million dollar cash infusion. I love a good yeah, conspiracy. But can you imagine like on a Monday, whatever? There's the whistleblower complaint. On Tuesday, there's the donation or whatever. On Wednesday, this other faculty member suddenly leaves or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it's something like that, it's looking like there's something there. Yeah. So it says Joan Donovan was hired as staff member, not a faculty member, to manage a media manipulation project. When the original faculty leader of the project left Harvard. Now, why did they leave Harvard? We don't know that information. They might have been told to leave or resign or we're going to fire you or whatever. Yep. So that faculty leader left Harvard. Then the school tried for some time to identify another faculty member who had the time and interest to lead the project. Why wasn't Joan brought on as she's got a PhD. She works in the field. She was in charge of the actual project. The, the, 
This is pretty typical, having a faculty member be the liaison between a research project and the school. It's pretty typical with like technology exchange programs where somebody's doing fundamental research on the at the institution, but they're not faculty. There's something hinky to it, you know, I, honestly. So when you peel back the layers, this is what I the conclusion that I came to. When you peel back the layers, you go, oh, this is pretty easy. But then it makes you say, hmm, maybe something there's something smoking. Maybe there's fire. So go get them, Joe. Good luck. Okay, well, that's it, folks. We are done for tonight. Dun, dun, dun. I would normally bring this back around and and uh, refresh the page, but I like this one. Man on Ozempic says food tastes different. It suddenly looks repulsive. <laughs> that might be the real world manifestation of what happens with you biologically because when you're on ozempic you don't want to eat anymore it's a it just your your appetite is um suppressed dramatically and so people have said that it does make food taste different and that you just don't want to eat and you don't like it and and that's this is the most like um, negative response that I've heard about food in relation to Ozempic. Yeah, I just assumed it wanted it made you eat less, for example, but I didn't know that it impacted how food tastes Perceived. or is yeah. it appealing or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, okay, well, that's it, folks. We are done for tonight. So see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that's going to say, what's up? Ma? No, I won't. <laughs> Not a lot, strong chance of that. <laughs> you do you. Go. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Hey, I just got an article that says, what is toxic bread bread crumbing? Guess what's going to be on the show tomorrow? I guess we'll have to do that tomorrow because <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> See you I'm in a bit. I'm afraid to know. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody.